Um, I do want to thank you for being here, and I want to I want to jump in. As you know, if you've been here, you know in in April, I'm sorry, in March, we've been doing a series called It's Time. Uh, it's kind of on the heels of the series that Pastor Bowen did at the beginning of the year about the kingdom of God being in us, and uh, that we are we are the children of God, and that, uh, all the blessings that come from that. It's a powerful thing, and so Pastor Steve and I have been taking turns this month talking about what that means to us and how we apply that in our lives and. Um, last week, Pastor Steve talked about the fact that it's time for action. Gave, brought a powerful word about, about us being called to action as believers. And today, uh, today's our last message in this series, because next week will be Easter and we'll be starting something new next month. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the fact that I believe it's time to trust. Does anybody in here, how many of you believe that it is time for the church to stand up and trust Jesus? Yeah. Amen? We all believe that. We believe that it is time for us to trust and and. I'm coming today to bring you a word that I hope will encourage you, but as well as challenge you in your level of trust that you have in the Lord. Um, because, you know, the fact that we believe it's our, it's our duty, it's our calling in life to stand up and trust God with everything in our life, the enemy knows that as well. And the enemy's working very hard against you to try to discourage you from trusting God. Amen? Anybody experienced that in their life? Yeah, he, he's, he's actually really, really good at discouraging us and causing us not to trust God, to take situations that have happened in our life to cause us to say, oh, this happened, so now I can't trust God. And it happens to all of us. And we come to a, we come to a kind of a crossroads in, in situations in our life where we have a situation because nobody but nobody but nobody has gone through life and every situation has just turned out the way they wanted it to or that every situation has turned out the way they prayed for it to because we pray for things sometimes that don't happen the way we want them to, don't we? And so the enemy wants to take those situations and say, oh, see, you can't trust God. You prayed for that and it didn't happen. And uh, so he's, he's always fighting against us. But the reason that he's fighting against us, one of the biggest reasons I believe is found in Romans 15, in chapter, in chapter 15, verse 13. And it's my main text verse for the day. This is Paul in his letter to the Romans. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you would guys leave that up there for a second. There, this, this is a very powerful verse. Paul's saying here that he's saying that he's praying that the God of hope would fill you with joy and peace as you trust him. It's very, very important that we see what he's saying here. He's saying as you trust him, God will fill you with hope and peace by the power of his spirit. It's not the other way around, which is a lot of times it's the way we approach our faith. It's like, God, I want to see you do something here and then I can trust you. And God's saying, nope, that's not how it works with me. The Christian walk is about you trusting me, and then I will fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit for joy and peace. And you know, the, the thing the enemy fears most in the church, or one of the things he fears the most in the church among believers and followers of Jesus, is the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. He hates that. Because if that's working through us, nothing's impossible. We can change the world. The early church was full of the Holy Spirit and the, the gospel spread so fast they couldn't even keep up with it. And that was over 2,000 years ago. It started in, started in the little country of Israel, little, little province of Israel. And here we are today, thousands of miles from there, 2,000 years later, still worshiping Jesus. That's from the power of the Holy Spirit working through the believers. And that scares the enemy. He does not want that. So what he's going to do, he's going to try to discourage you. And if he can keep you from trusting him, if he can keep you from trusting God, then he's going to limit you in, what, in, in your effectiveness and even in the joy and the peace that you would have in your own life. And nothing makes him happier than knowing that we, are, that we are stunted, that we are discouraged, and that we are just kind of hanging on by a thread. And so I want to ask you guys today, 
Have any of you ever struggled with trusting God? Show of hands. My hand's up. I, I think if, if we're honest, most of us would say there's absolutely been times in our life we've struggled with trusting God. Because, because we are human beings. There, we live in a world, a fallen world, right? Sin entered the world a long time ago through Adam. And, and sin is still in this world. Now, Jesus defeated the power of sin, praise God. But we're not going to get complete and total victory over all that until the day we meet him face to face. So we have, a, we have flesh. We have a human nature. And that human nature is to want what we want, when we want it. And so there are times we're going to be somewhat disappointed by the outcome of a situation because it's not working out the way we want it to. And so it'd be easy for us to struggle in trusting God in certain areas in our life. And so, and I, I want to encourage you today, and I hope by the time I'm done that, that you'll be encouraged today that um, not that it's okay to not trust God, but that it's okay that we don't have to feel condemned if we, if we struggle in areas, but that there are, there are keys in life that we, can, that we can walk into to where we can learn how to trust him more because that's what he wants for each and every one of us. Because I want to trust him because I want that joy and peace to overflow out of me by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? And so, but I want to, I want to say too today that I, I think some of us are probably even beyond the whole idea of struggling uh, in trusting the Lord. Some of us would even go as far as to say, my trust in God has been broken um, based on things that have happened in your life. Maybe you're here today and you, you do feel like you're hanging on by a thread. You feel like um, I want to trust God more, but I just haven't been able to because there've just been too many things in my life that have, that have caused me not to be able to trust. And, uh, and, and I, I want to encourage you in that today, but I, I want to start by just talking about a little bit, just give you some research I did on human nature as far as um, how we trust, because, you know, trust in, in, in human nature is earned. We don't blindly just trust people or things, do we? Uh, we're not wired that way, and that's okay. You know, people that trust blindly and are just too trusting, they're considered naive. And if, you're, if somebody calls you naive, that's not really a compliment. Um, I've been called naive more than once in my life, and I've kind of even gotten to the point in my life where I realize that in my nature, I am a little naive. I'm a little too trusting at times. And, uh, and so I have to be careful with that. But now the other extreme's not good either, where you're just skeptical of every single thing. But we do, trust does have to be earned in our life. And uh, I think about, I did some research on uh, the most trusted groups of people in, in the United States. And uh, I found that uh, the latest poll from last year says that the, the most trusted group of people in the whole United States are nurses. Any nurses in the house today? Yeah, yeah, Bernard, I, yeah, there's a few of you. Kim, praise God for you, we trust you. It's a, in fact, it's the 17th year, I think, that nurses have been voted the most trusted uh, group of people in the United States. Second most are military personnel. Any military in the house today? Got a lot of them, I know. We're thankful for our military. Thank God we can trust our military, amen? If they, if they, if we, if they weren't trustworthy and turned their guns on us, we'd be in trouble. So thank you for the military. And, uh, and third was grade school teachers. I know, we got, I know we got teachers in the house too, and we're thankful for them. Those are the three most trusted groups of people in the United States today, and that's built on track record. That's built on the fact they've earned it because, because we have leaned on them and counted on them and they've proven themselves faithful. So, so I wouldn't look at that without looking at the three least trusted groups in the United States. Um, thank, thank goodness one of them is not pastor. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, but the third least trusted group in the United States are lawyers. And uh, if there are any lawyers in the house, do not raise your hand. We don't, we don't want to know. Uh, and, and frankly, if you're here, we know you're trustworthy. You, you're a godly person, so we're thankful for you too. Uh, the second least trusted group are uh, business executives, CEOs of big companies. They're, the public does not have a lot of faith in them, a lot of trust in them for obvious reasons that we've seen. And the, the least trusted group in the whole United States is Yankees. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. 
But some of you believed it, and that's you, shame on you. I'm a, I was a Yankee once upon a time. I'm a Southern boy now for the last 19 years, so I think I've converted. But uh, no, the least trusted group are lobbyists, which everybody understands why that is what it is. Um, but, uh, but trust is earned, and so is distrust. It's also earned. And um, so I really want to talk to you today about how we, how we learn to trust God in our lives. Um, I think that the, the trust in God is based on his track record. You know, we, we do, we do want to we do want trust to be earned in our life. And God, I think God would say to us, you know what? I don't mind earning your trust because I think I'm, I'm good enough for it. I'm, I'm, I'm good for it. I'll, I'll earn your trust if you will step out and trust me. And then, then you'll see that I'm trustworthy. I want to just show a few verses to you real quick that talk about the trustworthiness of God. First one is in Hebrews 10, verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. What a great verse. He's, he's encouraging us, hold tightly to the faith, to the hope that we profess. The reason we can do that is because he is faithful. What a great word. Uh, Roman, uh, Revelations 19.11. This is the revelation that God gave Paul towards the end of his life. And this is the revelation he saw. He said, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Church, one of the names of God is Faithful. That's a capital F in that verse. One of his names is faithful. I think that, that, would, that would tend to make us believe that he is faithful, right? That we can trust him because that's who he is. That's his name. And, you know, the whole book of Revelation is talking about the second coming of Jesus and the fact that he's going to come back. We can trust in that and know that we can trust him. Uh, the third verse, this is a beautiful verse in Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, and great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. They wrote, they wrote a song about that that probably everyone in here knows. We've sung many, many times. There's something about singing that song and singing those words that just stirs our hearts when we talk about the faithfulness of God and how great it is. And this is uh, the, the writer of Lamentations, Jeremiah, he was talking about how, how faithful God is in the midst of all the trials that, that they went through at that time. And uh, if, if they can praise God and talk about his faithfulness in the midst of trials, how much more should we be able to do that in our trials? Amen. Um, and not only, I mean, there's countless, if you write, if you Google verses that talk about God's faithfulness, I could probably read half the Bible to you that talk about it specifically. There's so many countless miracles in the word of God, of the faithfulness of God that where he, he showed up just in time to, to deliver and to set free and to do so many things that he did. And some, but some of you here might be saying, well, that's all well and good, but uh, but that's, that's in the Bible. But in my own personal life, I've seen it where, where I feel like God has kind of let me down. And uh, I know this, this kind of sucks all the air out of the room to say stuff like this because we don't say this because we know in our hearts that, that it, it doesn't sound right to say that God let me down um, because we talk about his faithfulness. We sing about his faithfulness all the time. And so we have this conflict inside of us that I know he's faithful, but I feel like he's let me down. You know, and, there, and in a room this size with this many people, there's, a, there's people in this room that have, that have felt like God has left them, let them down and maybe even feel that today. And, I, and I'm here to encourage you today that, first of all, that, that God is faithful, that he's never let anyone down in the history of the world, and he never will. That's who he is. But it doesn't change the fact that some of us feel that way at times. But, but I, I, I want to suggest something to you, but I, I want to first... I would just want to kind of go there a little bit and talk to you about some of the things that, that I've heard people say before, you know, that, uh, you know, the Bible talks about healing, that God, that God is a, our healer, but, 
you know, I have this person in my family that's sick and we've laid hands on them umpteen times. We've fasted and prayed and they're just not getting better. And maybe that's even you, that you've been sick or you have an ailment. You know, the older we get, the more our bodies get these ailments in them. And, and we could pray all day. And sometimes God heals us miraculously. Sometimes he uses doctors to heal us. And sometimes we continue to struggle through that situation we're in. But it doesn't change the fact that God's faithful. You know, some of you may say, well, you know, the Bible says that God's our protector, you know, but when I was young, I was sexually abused or, or I was physically abused by someone when I wasn't able to protect myself. Where was God at that time? You know, I've heard that story before. And that's a, that's a painful, painful story for somebody to have. I'm wondering where God was when all of that happened, you know. And I would just want to tell you today that, uh, you know, the Bible talks about God as a perfect father. And as a parent, if something happens to your child and their, their heart is broken, your heart breaks for them. You can't help but have your heart broken when your child is hurting. And I would tell you today that when your heart's broken, when you're hurting, that God is hurting with you. You know, the response from some of us sometimes is, well, why doesn't he just fix it then? Well, we don't always understand why God does what he does. You know, if God's way, if he had his way, it was perfect, sin would have never even come into this world. It wasn't his plan to bring sin into the world. But sin did come into the world. And, and we've been dealing with ramifications ever since then. But we can trust God in the midst of those situations that come upon us. And we can, our trust level can actually grow and not decrease in the midst of those trials. You know, some of you may say, I, I, the Bible tells us, Jesus said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. But I haven't felt close to God in years. And, and uh, no matter what I do, I just can't feel that closeness with him. And, or, or, you know, the Bible says we're not supposed to fear. There's, there's over 300 places in the Bible where it says do not fear. But, but I struggle with fear and I pray all the time and I've fasted and I've begged God to help me not fear anymore. And, and, and yet I'm still crippled by fear and anxiety and I have to be on medication for it. I just don't understand why God doesn't just take this from me and heal me. Those are all legitimate questions that we hear all the time that people are dealing with. That's real life stuff. But, but I, I would like to pose a question to you today or, 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 a, or a hypothesis per se, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be basing our trust in God on the outcome of the situation that we're in. Maybe we're misguided in thinking that the, the outcome of our situation is the basis for us trusting God and how much we're going to trust God. Because obviously we see in, we see the, the disciples, the people all through the Bible, all the way from, from Abraham, all the way to John, people that went through a lot more stuff than most of us will ever go through in our life. And yet when they went through situations, their faith and their trust in God grew. It didn't shrink back. It didn't, it it grew. Just think of all the stuff that the apostle Paul went through, the times he was put in prison and he was flogged and he was shipwrecked and they stoned him and thought they'd killed him. What if he just sat back and said, well, I can't trust God anymore. Look at all this stuff that's happened to me. We wouldn't have a third of the New Testament, you know? And so if, if, if they can do it, we can do it too. And, and what I want to know is what's in them that caused them, when they go through situations, what's in them that caused their faith and their trust in God to grow and, and in somebody else that causes them to shrink back or, or walk away from God or, or turn from the faith and say, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I think part of it is the premise that we build our life on. You know, if you come to Jesus saying, okay, Jesus is going to fix my life. He's going to make everything better. Well, then we're coming with that idea that as soon as something doesn't get better, then, well, it must not, it didn't work now. So I'm going to, I'm just going to walk away. Or I'm going to just kind of come to church and, and, and hope for the best, but I'm not really going to trust him with my life. And I think a lot of us do that in, in different areas of our life because that's a, that's a struggle that we have. And I really want to encourage you today in that, that, uh, that we can grow in those situations no matter what. You know, I, there, somebody sent me a text today, or not today, this week, 
that's been going through something over the last year, some, more than one thing, multiple things over the last year that has been really, really rough and, and gone through more stuff in a year than I've gone through my whole life. And this person, when they sent me this text, was telling me some of the stuff that was going on and got some more discouraging news again. And, and, uh, but at the end of the text, they said, I'm learning to trust God more every day through all of this. And man, when I see that, my heart just, it just warms my heart to see that someone that's going through all of that saying, this is just teaching me to trust. You know, it's amazing to me that two people can go through the exact same thing. You can have two people in the same family go through the same thing. And one person's trust in God goes like this and one person's goes like this. It's really amazing. And I, and, and I want to suggest to you today that, that I believe a lot of that is based on the premise that we build our faith on and how we walk out our faith in God. So I want to I talk to you about, about trusting God. And uh, I, I, I want to suggest to you today that if we're approaching our life with our Christian walk and our faith and our, our relationship with Jesus, if we're approaching it, uh, the, the way that God wants us to approach it is that not necessarily that he's going to fix everything that happens to us. You know, that he's not necessarily going to cause us to, to rise above every, every bad thing that could happen to where we don't experience those things. But what he's going to do, like I said in Romans 15, 13, that he's going to fill us with joy and peace in the midst of trials and tribulations and situations that we go through in our life. The things that we would probably not want to happen, but that do happen sometimes. Because the, the end goal of our relationship with God can't be that he just fixes everything. It can't be. Church, if it's built on that, we're going to be disappointed. Now, does he fix some things for us? Absolutely. In the end, he's going to fix everything. You know, at the end of the day, it's all fixed. We're all going to be in glory with him. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. And I'm thankful for that and all glory to God for that. And even sometimes on earth, he does fix things. You know, like I was saying how some people get healed. Uh, some people will get completely delivered from things. Some people, I've, I've talked to people that have been completely delivered from fear. My wife's been delivered from fear in a major way. Um, and so I, you see those things happen and those are great. And we rejoice in those things. And we ask, we ask for those things. We love those things. But our trust in God cannot be built on those things alone. On what he has done for us the way we wanted him to do it. You know, because if we, if we trust in God and we look at, and what Paul said in, in Romans eight twenty eight that he works all things for our good, not some things, not just the good things, not most things, everything in our life, he works for our good. If we trust him, if we love him and, and are called according to his purpose. And we can stand on that. That's what builds our trust. That's what builds our faith in God is, is knowing that he is working in us in every situation for our good. Even though it may not feel like it at the time, he's working in our good. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I, I read that to say, you know what? If, God does, if Jesus does everything in your life that you need him to do, he's healed you, he's set you free, he's delivered you, he's made every relationship, he's healed every relationship. Financially, you're doing great. And all, he does everything you want him to do in this life. And that's all that you have. Paul says we are to be pitied more than anyone else. Because everything in life is so temporal. You know, the Bible says that our life is like a vapor. You know, you ever see a vapor of water, it just, and it's gone. And that's, that's the extent of our life here on earth. We have to be eternally, we have to have eternal perspective and see that this life is, is not the end. And no matter what we're going through in this life, we can stand in, in, the, in the fact that he, his name is faithful. And that he's going to be coming on that white horse. He's going to be taking us with him. 
And I can get excited about that because there is hope to be found in every situation that we're in. Every situation we're in, there's hope to be found. No matter how bad it may seem, we can still trust him and stand on that. So I, wanna, I wanted to mention to you or talk to you about three levels of trust that I believe that, uh, that the Bible talks about. And it's kind of based on the triumphal entry of Jesus. You know, this being Palm Sunday, that's the representation of the, the day that Jesus came, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful day. And, and the people thought he was coming in to, to overthrow the Roman government and become the king. You know, and, and so people were really excited. The, the, there was three different groups of people on that day that, I, that I'd like to talk to you about today. And I'll go into it a little more in a minute. Uh, the one group was the Pharisees. You know, these were the religious zealots. And, and uh, they, were, they were adherers to the law. And when Jesus was coming into the city and people were shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, you know, the Pharisees came to Jesus and rebuked him. He said, you need to rebuke these people for worshiping you. And that's where Jesus says, hey, if these people keep their mouth shut, the stones are going to cry out. You know, but the Pharisees were the ones that they, they, uh, they were not very happy with what Jesus was doing. They did not believe in him as the Messiah. And then there's the second group was the multitudes. Those were the people that were, they were putting down the palm branches. They were excited to see Jesus. They were they were rejoicing and, and you know, their, their thoughts were one thing one day and then about, you know, less than a week later, they were yelling, crucify him. They were the ones that were, they were all over the place. They were fickle. Those were the multitudes. And then you had the inner circle, which were Jesus' disciples. These were the people that were following Jesus and living for him and had given up everything to follow him and, and were close to him and had a, had a level of trusting him. And so I want to go through these three because I believe that it talks, I, we can look at these three spheres and talk about our level of trust in God and our relationship with him. And, uh, you know, I, I think that for all of us, or almost all of us, we probably fluctuate between these spheres. I don't think all of us are all Pharisees, and we're not all multitudes, and we're not all inner circle. I think there's areas of our life where, where we may have struggled to trust God, um, and other areas where we don't. And so, you know, I don't really struggle with fear. And so I, I feel like my trust in the Lord when it comes to fear and his protection over me is, I feel like I'm in the inner circle. I feel like I'm, I'm good, but there's, uh, there's, there's areas where I'm a little more like a Pharisee and there's areas where I'm a little more like the multitudes. And so I'm going to go through these and, and some of them may relate to you on, on every level. So the first one is the Pharisees, okay? So if, if you're churched and you've read your Bible, you know that the Pharisees have a pretty negative connotation and you would probably say, oh, I'm not a Pharisee. I, you know, those are, those are the guys that killed Jesus. Um, but truth be told, a lot of the Pharisees were really good people. You know, they weren't, they weren't all terrible. They, they really had a love for God. Uh, they were just a little, they were a little misguided and Jesus rocked their boat, so to speak. Um, and so let me go through some of the characteristics of, of a Pharisee. First of all, they trust in their own abilities. Uh, they're very works oriented. I, I'm, I, I can tend to struggle with this actually, you know, to receive the grace and the mercy of God and, and understand that it's a free gift for, for me. Uh, it, it's difficult for me sometimes to understand. I feel like I want to work for him, you know, like I feel a little better if I if I read my Bible a little more, you know, there's something inside of me that, that likes that. I like showing God how much I love him. Um, and I'm just being transparent with you here. That's, that, that, that's not really a good thing. I mean, it's good to read and pray and all that, but not, not, as, a, not as a way of getting favor with God. And uh, that's a struggle for a lot of us. So the church I was raised in, it was a lot more like that. You know, it was a lot more rules oriented. Um, and so we can become, it, it, some, some, sometimes we can be more trusting in our abilities. Uh, another one is the tradition. They always... They always like it done a certain way because of tradition. We can easily get caught in tradition. They don't like change. Um, love the comfort zone part of, of tradition. You know, like this is just the way we've always done it. I, I remember the church I grew up in, uh, the, we were very much against dancing. 
man, you just, you just don't dance. Like in worship, in church, nowhere. If your feet start moving too fast, you're sinning, you know? And um, I never really understood it. And, and I remember being a teenager and finally asking my mom one day, I said, mom, why don't we dance? And my mom's answer was probably one that you've heard many times too. She said, that's just the way it's always been. You know, she couldn't even really answer it. She just knew that that was kind of the rule of the church and we just adhere to it. We don't ask questions. And, um, and that's kind of how the Pharisees were. They, they just had their traditions. They had their rules and they really, they really liked sticking to it. You know, so much so that um, in Mark 3, I think it is, where Jesus heals the guy with the shriveled hand and it was a miraculous healing that nobody questioned, but it was on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, it's, the Bible says the Pharisees went out immediately outside of the temple to plot how they might kill Jesus. And man, when I read that, every time I read that, my mind just, I can't understand how they could see a miracle like that and be mad that he did it on the Sabbath. It's really remarkable. But you know, if you really start thinking about it and really look at your own heart in a situation like that, I think, okay, well, you know, I mean, has there been a time that maybe somebody got a blessing uh, from God that I felt didn't deserve it and it maybe frustrated me a little? If I'm honest, I've done that. Has anybody else? I mean, that's, that's kind of that's the same thing. You know, they got mad at Jesus because he did something good, but he, he didn't do it the way they thought he should do it. And so they were looking, you know, they obviously went to the extreme and wanted to kill him. But I, I, think, I think that can be in my heart sometimes to, to not be happy for someone that gets something if I don't feel like they deserve it. Um, another thing they like is that they surround themselves with like-minded people. I think we all need to look at our circle of friends and see, does everybody that, we're, that we relate to and know, does everybody around us think just like us? I, I don't, that's not really a very healthy thing to have because it just, it just causes us to kind of create that little bubble and that little circle of ours, you know, and, and our trust, even, even our trust in the Lord. If, if somebody else isn't making us think outside the box, we're just going to continue to walk that same walk forever and we'll never be stretched in our faith the way we can be. Um, and then finally, they prefer religion to relationship. And uh, we look at that today and we say, oh, that's terrible. You know, we don't want to be religious. We want to have a relationship with Jesus. But again, the, that's just works oriented. It's, it's, it's feeling like you can just, like you'd almost rather just have a list of rules that you could follow because it makes it easier to really follow Jesus than to really have to, have to go after him and say, okay, God, what is it you want from me today? You know, that's not on this list of 10 rules. And uh, that could be a struggle for us. So the next group is the multitudes. The multitudes, they have a wait and see approach. They like to stay on the sidelines. Maybe that's you in some areas of your life. Maybe, you know, financially, I think, I think our finances, trusting God with our finances, a lot of us like to stay on the sidelines. And we like to hear the testimonies of people that have really stepped out and, you know, gave away a ton of money to something and, and saw God provide, provide for them faithfully. We like to see that. We'll cheer and clap for them, but <laughs> I'm not going to do it myself. You know, I'm going to watch from the sidelines. I like to see, I'll let God work miracles through you and I'll just enjoy it. Um, I, I think we could be very guilty of that. Um, that it have kind of a, I'll believe it when I see it approach to life when it comes to really trusting God. Uh, I, I know I've fallen into that. I, I think the flesh, that's the natural, that's the norm for us as human beings is to want to kind of stay on the sidelines at a safe place away from all the hard hitting action and, and watch the other people and, and their dealings with the Lord. Uh, they're also people pleasers. So if you're a people pleaser, it's very, very difficult to trust the Lord because you're too swayed by the crowd. You know, you don't want to go against the grain. You don't want to, you don't want to do anything that's going to rock the boat. You know, a lot of us are people pleasers by nature. And, and there's nothing wrong with not wanting to upset people. But if, we're, if that's where our identity is found and just not rocking the boat, then we could very easily be missing out. 
people pleasers don't really get anything done. They just go with the crowd. And that's what the multitude did here. They, you know, one minute they're laying down the palm branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and you know, because everybody else was doing it. So I'm sure there was guys standing around who was like, well, everybody else is doing it. He grabbed a palm branch and threw it on the ground and started saying, how's it Hosanna, you know? And then a week later, like, well, now they're yelling, crucify him. All right, crucify him. You know, just kind of whatever. You know, as long as I can blend in and not stick out, I'm good. You know, and you're never going to live a life of really trusting God if you're not stepping out. If you're not walking in faith and, and making a difference, you know, in your own life. Because the multitudes are never going to really want to step out and trust God. They're going to want to just kind of blend in. Because it's safer there. The multitudes, the people, the multitudes never get crucified. Amen. The multitudes never get crucified. They get to just sit around and watch and, and life's kind of easier for them. But they don't ever really get to walk in that peace and joy and that overflowing of the Holy Spirit power in their life either. And I'd rather have that. I'd rather take the chance. Amen. Um, okay. They're, also in, they're often led by their emotions. Now, this is a big one. Emotions are a good thing. God gives us emotions. It's fun to be happy. It's fun to be excited. It's not so fun to be sad or angry, but God has given us our emotions. The problem with being part of the multitude is that we are led by our emotions. We are not meant to be led by our emotions. Can I get an amen to that? Our emo- your emotions will lie to you constantly. If you are led by your emotions, you, will, you are the epitome of somebody that's just tossed by the wind and the waves. It's just however it feels, that's what I'm going to go with. And people that are led by their emotions, one day they are all in on Jesus. Man, I love Jesus. I'm going to be a missionary in Africa for the rest of my life. And then three days later, they're like, I don't even know if I'm a believer anymore. You know? Because that's how emotions are. That's how they are all the time. I mean, one minute you're madly in love with Jesus. The next minute you're like, eh, I don't know. You know? I mean, that's just, that's just the nature of who we are. And, but we cannot allow those emotions to lead us. We are called to lead our emotions. We are called to lead them. They, they should follow us. You know, if I'm, if I'm sad one day, it doesn't mean the world's falling apart. It doesn't mean I need to change my whole life necessarily. You know, it, it means I'm not going to be subject to my emotions. I'm not going to allow them to have Lord over me. I'm going to have Lord over them. I'm going to be Lord over them because I'm going to have the peace and joy that comes from trusting my God. Right. So when we're struggling with that emotion, it's all the more important that we trust him. Uh, and then lastly, they want the perks of a relationship with Jesus, but not the sacrifice. You want the high side, but not the low side. And you might say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual to say there's a low side to, be, to following Jesus. I, Jesus said to, that if you're going to follow him, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That sounds like a negative to me. Yeah. In the flesh, in the human nature, that's not a good thing. Taking a, you know, the, the cross is a symbol of death. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're really going to do it. You have to die to yourself. And uh, I don't, I, dying to yourself, is not, it's not a one-time thing where I say, okay, I'm dying to myself, and now I'm just dead forever. The self keeps coming back. That's why the mercies have to be new every morning, because the self comes back every morning too, you know? So we have to constantly be dying to ourselves. So there is a, there is a I don't want to say downside, but there's a struggle with following Jesus. And, but the multitudes just want the perks. They want the, they want the good part. They want, oh, yeah, he's going to deliver us. He's going to be the new king. He's going to do everything we need him to do. He's going to be great. But they don't want to actually do the sacrifice. I think the best example of that is the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, I think, where, where he comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, easy. You just have to sell everything you have and give them all the money to the poor. And the Bible says that the guy walked away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't willing to do the hard part of following Jesus. He wanted the perks. He wanted the kingdom of God. He wanted that inheritance, but he didn't want to actually have to give up anything to get it. And that's what the multitudes will do when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Um, 
Romans 8 and 18, just as an encouragement in the, in, the, in the idea of the sacrifice we make to follow Jesus. Paul said that I consider it, our, um, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So that tells me it's worth sacrificing for my God. It's worth it. Because whatever suffering I have to go through by laying down my life and denying myself isn't even worth comparing, he says, to the, to the glory that will be revealed in us. It's trying to compare, it's like trying to compare a match to a nuclear bomb. You just can't even do it. It's ludicrous to even talk about it. He's saying it's not even worth being in the same sentence as the glory that's going to be revealed in us because we laid down our life and sacrificed and suffered for our God. That's powerful. That's power. And we need a revelation of that because we don't really believe that sometimes, church. I don't think we believe it. We do believe it's comparable, that, it, that it's, it's worth comparing because that's, what caused, that's why we, when we go through stuff, why our faith wavers and why our trust wavers because we think, uh, is it really worth it? And Paul's saying, not only is it worth it, it's not even worth comparing. That's how much better it is. The glory that's going to be revealed in us. And we can trust him for that. Okay, so the last uh, sphere is the inner circle. Now, this is the one we all want to be in. This is the, these are the disciples. These are the ones that, that made sacrifices and, and gave up everything to follow Jesus and really knew how to trust him. They went into Jerusalem with him, riding right beside him, walking with him right into the city. Now, granted, we all know that, that the day he got crucified that they all abandoned him except for John. But these are the ones, which, which just goes to show that no matter where you are in your level of trusting God, none of us are perfect. There's going to be moments where we fail, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you're all of a sudden excluded from the inner circle with God. And the term inner circle, like, please know my heart in this. I'm not saying, like, you know, those that really trust God, they're like this little clique, and you can't get in it unless you do certain things. That's not what I'm talking about. This is just for, this is, uh, just for the purposes of helping you understand what I'm talking about. But uh, people in the inner circle, they realize that trusting Jesus means leaving some things behind. To really trust Jesus, church, we have to leave some things behind. We can't have it all. We just cannot have it all. Peter, Andrew, James, uh, and John, all four left their nets immediately when Jesus called them to be his disciples. Their nets represented everything. It was their livelihood. And they left it to follow Jesus. Now, is that, is that for all of us that we all have to like leave our jobs and our families and everything to follow Jesus? Not necessarily. But we need to have that heart that I'll give up whatever you want me to give up, Lord. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to, I want to know you. I want to trust you more. And so... I would ask you today, where is the focus of your trust that keeps you from trusting him fully? Where is the focus? What are you trusting that's, that's keeping you from being able to trust God more in your life? Let me, let me give you a real brief um, kind of illustration. Uh, we were driving home from Florida a couple weeks ago for a wedding, and I saw a big fire off in the distance. Like it was, someone was burning a lot of brush. It just got me thinking about forest fires. You know, this is the time of year we hear about forest fires out west, and and, and how these fires just consume, you know, thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of acres. And, and uh, there's this group of firefighters that, that go to these forest fires that are called hot shots. And uh, they're 20 member teams of, of usually men that go into the remote areas that the, the, the trucks can't get to and that you can't get to normally. And um, they go in and when they fight fire, they don't take water. You know, when you fight a, a house fire, you're taking water, right? You're, you put out the fire with a, with a water hose or, or if you, you know, any, any small fire, you can usually use a hose. These guys don't run to a fire with a hose. They run to a fire with chainsaws and axes and rakes and shovels. Because what they're doing is they're actually going in and they're cutting down perfectly good trees. They're, they're taking out nice stuff that's, that's similar to what's being consumed by the fire. But what they're doing is they're trying to remove the fuel for that fire. 
So they're creating a, a fire break is what they call it. So they're actually like cutting down perfectly good stuff to get it out of the way so that when the fire gets to there, it'll stop. And it won't continue to spread to the rest of these thousands and hundreds of thousands of acres. And man, when I thought of that, when I saw that, I was like, man, that, that is so applicable in our life. That we would, there, there's fires in our life. Some of the fires in our life we could put out with a little bit of water. But there's some fires in our life we can't put out unless we have a chainsaw. We've got to take some chainsaws to things in our life that we need to leave behind that are keeping us from trusting God. And it's not necessarily even a sin issue. You know, there might be relationships, friendships in your life that are toxic, that you need to like just cut it off. You need to take a chainsaw to it. Now, not to the person, please God, don't take a chainsaw to any person, okay? Um, that's on video me saying that you don't do that, so you can't blame me. But, um, but, but to situations in our life, sometimes we have to take a chainsaw, which is a drastic thing. We'd be, be getting rid of things in our life that seem like they're good. But what it's really doing is adding fuel to a fire in our life that's causing us not to trust God. And it could be something financially. It could be something relationally. Only you know what that thing would be. But there's things we're afraid to make tough decisions sometimes because we don't want to hurt somebody or we don't want to take a drastic step. But in reality, those are the things that are causing uh, turmoil in our life and keeping us from being able to really trust our God. And so I, I hope that you will think about that. And, and if that resonates with you, um, I believe that's a word from the Lord for us today. That there may be something in your life that you need to take a chainsaw to it, to keep that fuel, to get rid of the fuel for that fire that's going in your life. Um, the next thing with the inner circle is they use trials to grow their faith, not the other way around. Trials in our life can grow our faith, church. It does not have to tear, beat us down and have our, make us have our heads down, downtrodden. Trials can actually grow our faith. I, I was talking to you two weeks ago when I was sharing, I, I talked about the the, the passage in James 1 about perseverance having to finish its work. You know, we can consider jo uh, trials joy in our life because of perseverance finishing its work so we may be complete, not lacking anything. If we are, if we are in that inner circle trusting God, we know, those people know that, that, that trials can draw us closer to him and, and cause our trust in him to grow and not to decrease. And thirdly, they trust in what they cannot see. How many of you know the Christian walk, the true Christian walk is a life of trusting what you can't see sometimes? We have to believe before we can see, right? That's what the Christian life is all about. In fact, they're going to show a video here, a clip from a movie. A lot of you might recognize it, uh, but I think it exemplifies trusting in what you cannot see. So go ahead and show that video. That's a, that, that is the, one of the best illustrations of the Christian life that I've ever seen. To, to, to think that, uh, that we have to take a step of faith before, and we cannot see necessarily what God's doing until we actually take that step. It was impossible for him to see that bridge until he actually stepped out on it. And that is what God calls us to as believers. You know, like I said at the beginning, we want to believe before we do that. We want to see God doing what he's doing and then we'll step into it. And God says, that's not how it works because that's not going to build your faith. What builds your faith and your trust in me is when you step and you trust me and you see that I meet you in that place. And then you can take another step and another step. And, and I love in that video at the end, you know, he actually turns around and throws some dirt on the bridge so that the guys coming behind him could actually see the bridge. So our faith can actually help build other people's faith. When they see our, the faith that we project in our life, the lifestyle that we live, the trusting God that we do in stepping out in faith and can actually build the faith of others around us. That should encourage us. As believers, you know, because I don't know if you guys know this, and I'm being a little facetious here, but the world's watching us. They're watching us to see how we live out this faith that we say. 
They are absolutely watching. But God gives us what we need to be able to lead, those, to lead the people that don't trust him into seeing that our faith is real and that our God is real and that we can trust him. I, I want to share one more verse with you. It's in Psalm 119, verse 105. Very, very famous verse. You probably all know it and love it. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. His word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. I remember reading this years ago, and I've shared this before, but I remember a number of years back I was reading this, and, uh, and I remember it just struck me that this, this verse tells us that his word, the word of God, his, what he's done, his, his, his track record is a lamp for our feet. It doesn't say that his, his word is a halogen light bulb, a huge light that'll light up a whole room. You know, these big halogen lights that shine up on stage to light this whole stage up. It's not that. He says specifically that it's a lamp for our feet. Why do we need a lamp for our feet? I believe because when we, when we walk this faith walk, this Christian walk of trusting God, that he's only lighting up around our feet. He's only lighting up what's right in front of us. And if, you, if you're holding a lamp or a lantern, as you take a step, it lights up a little more. And then you take another step, it lights up a little more. And you take another step and it continues to light. He's not necessarily going to show you what's way over there. He's showing you what's right here. He's saying, you may, have a, you may need an answer to a prayer that's way down there. But God's saying, okay, well, I'm going to get you there, but you're going to have to trust me along the way. You take a step and you'll see my faithfulness. You take another step, you're going to see it. And eventually you're going to get to that answer that you're looking for. And you're going to be able to, and you're going to learn how to trust me as you do that. If, if he just gave us the answer and we just, you know, it was, he was like our genie that just gave us the answer we wanted. It wouldn't, it wouldn't really do anything for us long-term. It would just help meet our need, of, our immediate need and help our emotions. So consequently, we'd be starting to get more led by our emotions, which we're not called to be. But his word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We're walking this path of life and he's given us a lamp to light up our feet so that we could take those steps every day. You may not be able to see way off in the distance, but you don't have to. You only have to see in front of you. You only have to see what he's doing. And you could trust him. And he would say, I, I, he's, he's over there and he's bidding you to come. He's saying, come, you could trust me. You may, not, you may just see a big old whole canyon down there, but he's saying there's a bridge here, but I, I, I'm going to give you my word to help light that bridge up so you can walk on that bridge. So as I close, I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. Please. And I just want to encourage you today that the, the Christian walk is the walk of trusting him every day, every minute of every day. If you feel like you can live days and weeks without really having to intentionally trust, trust the Lord, then you're probably living a little more like a Pharisee. You're living more about the rules. Like, oh, I'm doing the things I need to do. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm a good person. You're living a little bit more like a Pharisee then. Or, or if you... If you feel like you're just being tossed and you're kind of fickle, you're, you're all in one minute and the next minute you're, you're, you're not all in and you're, you're struggling with really being committed to who he is and walking out this Christian walk, you're probably more like a, one of the multitudes. But nobody's here today to judge or condemn any of us because I can see a little bit of me in all three of those spheres. I'm sure we probably all can. My, our goal though should be that more and more of our life is in that inner circle than, out, than in the outer circles because I believe that's his heart for us. And that's where the power of the Holy Spirit is overflowing out of us. And we're seeing it working in our life and we're being effective and we're walking with joy and peace no matter what happens. 
My circumstances will not determine my level of joy and peace in my life. Amen? That's, that's the heart of God for each and every one of us. So I want to pray for us today. And then, uh, and then Steve's just going to, we're just going to sing a, a verse of a, of a song to encourage us. But I want to pray for you. And if this is you today, I just want you to just, just receive this prayer. Okay? So if you guys would bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, thank you today for your word. That is truth, that it is life. Lord, we thank you today that one of your names is faithful. God, we hang our hat on your faithfulness. We hang our hat on your faithfulness today. Lord, we trust you and you alone. You have earned our trust through your faithfulness and through your word. God, I pray today that you would help us, help each and every one of us in this room, Lord, to trust you more every day. Lord, I pray that more and more of our life will become part of that inner circle. More of our life will be part of the inner circle. Lord, we want the joy and peace of God to overflow out of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we commit today, we declare today that our joy and our peace is not going to be dependent on our circumstances. In the name of Jesus, I declare that over every person in this room today. Our joy and peace is not dependent upon our circumstances. In the name of Jesus. God, we give it all to you. We give it all to you, Lord. Help us to live the life of faith that will draw others to you, to draw people to you. Thank you, Jesus. Use us for your glory. We thank you that you're working all situations in our life for our good. Every situation is being worked for our good, Lord. Help us to see it. Help us to see with your eyes. Help us to see with your eyes, God. Give us faith to take that next step to see your word light up our path. Help us, Lord God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. Lord, we want to trust you more. Help us to, to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. Show us what that means in our lives today, God. We give you all the praise and the glory, Lord. You're the only one worthy of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.